When you hear about osteoarthritis, it's easy to assume it's the same thing as osteoporosis, but it's not. And there are unique elements of both conditions that are important to understand to ensure you're getting the right treatments and therapies. I'm your host, Krista Lamb, and today on Unbreakable, the OC podcast from Osteoporosis Canada, I'll be with talking with Dr. Heather McDonald Plumer, who is a member of the Division of Rheumatology at Mount Sinai Hospital and the University Health Network. Welcome to the show. We're so happy to have you. I'm very excited to be here talking about patient-related concerns is a passion of mine. Well, I think this is a fantastic episode because it's going to teach people something that I also was unfamiliar with, which is the difference between osteoporosis and osteoarthritis. So I think a lot of people are confused about this, and I would love to find out what the difference is, if you could explain Okay, so it's a really important question because patients will sometimes come into my office and say, oh, I'm here for my osteo. And I look a little bit confused and say, well, osteo what? And we all use short forms in our day-to-day life. And so it, it does become confusing. So osteoporosis is a silent condition, meaning it really doesn't have symptoms for patients, but it's where there's a change in the structure of the bone where the bone decreases in both quantity and quality of bone, and that results in an increased risk for fractures. And so that is something that is piece A. Osteoarthritis, on the other hand, is usually a very symptomatic condition where patients or anybody really can get pain. And it's related usually to changes in the cartilage, where the cartilage gets some wear and tear, it thins out a little bit, And that causes the underlying bone structures to perceive pain, and that pain is usually related to activity. So the usual thing that we will see is people will notice a specific joint that when they use it, they get pain. When they stop using it, the pain gradually settles. And the traditional areas that we would see would be hips and knees in terms of walking. The big toe is a really critical target for osteoarthritis. And then in the hands, the base of the thumb and some other scattered joints. So, you know, really different in terms of the underlying mechanism, but also different in terms of how it impacts patients. And so how are they diagnosed? Is there a difference in how you would diagnose osteoarthritis versus osteoporosis? There certainly is. So with osteoarthritis, that's often diagnosed just on the basis of patient symptoms. And so when people go to see their healthcare provider and say, you know, when I do this particular activity, this is what I'm feeling. There's a certain general pattern of of the story or how it impacts the patient that will often trigger the healthcare provider to say, this sounds like osteoarthritis. And then on the clinical examination, when they look at the specific joints, there's some certain features that we look at. Many people will notice if they have osteoarthritis that they can see changes in their own joints, particularly the little joints like the finger joints. And if the history and the physical examination are supportive, then sometimes we will send patients for x-rays. And when the radiologist looks at the x-rays, there's some really key features that we see on the x-ray that, again, are traditionally found with osteoarthritis. And then when all else fails, we go to more sophisticated studies, CAT scans or MRIs, and those can pick up some of the, the more delicate or nuanced presentations. So It's really a combination of the patient's story, the physical exam, and then radiology. Whereas in osteoporosis, the diagnosis, as I said before, because it's silent, there are really two things that prompt us to think about it. One is that patient falls and breaks something. If you have a broken bone that really occurred with minimal trauma, 
a light bulb should go off in the patient and in the healthcare provider's head that this sounds like osteoporosis. It may not be if you're a young person, but certainly in the over 50 crowd, that's an important consideration. And then the other way we look at it is, again, through the history, we may find that there's some risk factors. Age is a risk factor. So anybody over the age of 65, we look at. There may be a family history that is, again, a risk factor. If a parent has had a hip fracture, that really, again, is a big issue. There's some diseases and drugs that are risk factors. So we look at that. Physical examination is a little bit less important in terms of osteoporosis, unless people have had a fracture, in which case we look at things like height loss. If people have lost you know, an inch or two in height with no other explanation, that's a really big issue. If people have got localized back pain when they come into my office, that would be an issue. But most of the time we rely on a test called a bone densitometry test or sometimes shortened to DEXA, DXA. And those tests actually help us quantify how much bone is there relative to a healthy, young 25 or 30-year-old person. And that becomes another way that we can look at it. So again, same type of process, history, physical, and some testing. But what we look for and the different tests are, are separate from osteoporosis versus osteoarthritis. And can you have both or do you just have one? No, unfortunately, you can certainly have both. And because we tend to see osteoarthritis and osteoporosis in our older populations, it's really, really common for people over the age of 50 and certainly over the age of 65 to have both. And so again, when they come into my office and say, I've got osteo, it could be that they actually have both processes. But because what we look for as healthcare providers is different, the stories are different and the physical exam is different, it can sometimes be a little bit challenging. And I know many of my colleagues if they're endocrinologists, may deal with the osteoporosis, whereas as a rheumatologist, I would deal with both, but sometimes on separate visits just to make sure that I address all the nuances. This is so interesting because there's also rheumatoid arthritis. So is that also a different situation in a different condition? Yes. So rheumatoid arthritis is a very different condition. You know, it affects different joints. So it tends to affect little joints, particularly in the hands and the feet. It is not something that is age-related. People can actually develop rheumatoid arthritis as tiny children, or they can develop at any point in their adult life. It's a process where rather than it being something where the cartilage gets injured, there is an autoimmune process which targets the, the tissues around the joint. It's called the synovial tissues. And that process creates inflammation. And with inflammation, patients get pain and stiffness in their joints. They often get quite significant swelling in some of the joints, particularly, again, the little ones that we can visualize or even the knees, which don't have a lot of fatty tissue around them. And so that is a different process, different things that we look at on the history, the physical exam. There's some blood work, which can be very helpful in terms of confirming rheumatoid arthritis. And again, you can get rheumatoid arthritis and osteoarthritis and osteoporosis, but the processes are different. And osteoarthritis is really common. But rheumatoid arthritis is relatively uncommon. It's about 1% of the Canadian population. Okay, so much less common. So with osteoarthritis, let's talk a little bit about that and how that impacts bone health. Because I think from people listening, they may have concerns about if they develop osteoarthritis and osteoporosis, or if they're worried about one or the other, what is it going to do to our bone health? So I guess there are a couple of things. If the osteoarthritis is predominantly in your hands, and some people do have it mostly in the end joints of their fingers and at the bottom of the thumb, 
then it really doesn't have a big impact on bone health because it doesn't impact your weight-bearing exercise activities. I think where we see the biggest challenge, if people have significant osteoarthritis in hips, knees, or in the big toe, it often impacts their ability to walk. And so it becomes a delicate balance because from the arthritis perspective, we're saying continue your exercise. It's really important, but recognize that you've got some limits. Whereas in the osteoporosis world, we're really encouraging weight-bearing exercise activity. And I think patients can sometimes find that confusing. I think the good thing is that even if somebody has osteoarthritis, we can often get them mobile enough. And so with appropriate footwear, so they've got a really good supportive shoe with lots of cushion, they've got a, you know, what we call a deep toe box, so enough space for their arthritic toes to fit into. With the use of walking aids, whether it be a cane or in some cases using a walker, we can often get people on their feet for that 20 minutes, 30 minutes per day, which is what they need for bone health from the osteoporosis perspective. So when I look at people walking on the street, um, I guess because I am a rheumatologist and I look at these things regularly, I'm always really excited when I see somebody who's got significant limitations because of osteoarthritis, but they're still out trying to get their exercise. I think the other piece is we target some exercises, particularly for people who do have osteoarthritis and make sure that their quadricep muscle is good and strong. And you can do that in a way that doesn't aggravate the joints. But we know if the quad muscle, which is the big muscle in the top of the thigh, if that muscle is stronger, it helps people in their walking. It helps them with fall prevention activities, helps them get out of a chair so that they can get up for their walking. And we also get people to work on core strengthening exercises. And those are the muscles that are really in our back and in our bellies. And again, those muscles are important for posture, but they're also important for fall prevention. And there are ways that those exercises can be done, even with people with significant osteoarthritis, and that helps from a bone perspective, but it also helps fall prevention. And I find this really interesting because for a lot of people with osteoarthritis, I'm sure they're dealing with some pain. And so they might not be thinking, oh, I, I want to go for a walk or, oh, I want to do exercise. But it sounds like exercise is really one of the best things that they can be doing to help them mitigate some of that pain. I think that's really true. I think on multiple levels. So we certainly know that if people have osteoarthritis, it is hard to control your weight. But we know that when people carry less weight, not to be anorexic, but just to have a fairly normal body mass, it probably helps in terms of joints, both in terms of protecting the joints, but also just less physical wear and tear on the joints as they're going out to do their activity. So from a weight control perspective, that's good, but also from the muscle fitness perspective. So there are a few ways around that. One is not to have undue expectations. I always look at the tortoise and hare kind of analogy that if we ask somebody to walk five kilometers with osteoarthritis, they're never going to walk that distance again because they've overdone it. Whereas if we set realistic expectations and say, you know what, walk a minute out from your home and a minute back. And let's start with that. And let's do that for a couple of weeks until you get your confidence up and we start working on that muscle strength. And then we're going to increase it. And some patients will actually time themselves or they'll look at laps in the corridor if they live in an apartment or a condominium. So there are ways to do that. Some people do need some guidance in terms of physiotherapy or meeting with the arthritis society therapist or a group class just to look at that. And I found that our kinesiologists and exercise specialists are getting much more interested in our older population 
and helping them with mobility. So I think there are some ways. And then lastly, there's nothing particularly wrong for most people to take maybe a little bit of Tylenol or acetaminophen, same thing, just different names, before they go out to do their activities. And it may allow them to walk a little bit more comfortably and hit that balance between exercise, joint protection, bone health, and yet not putting themselves into too much pain. That brings me to my next question, which is, are there medications that you might be taking for osteoarthritis? And if so, do those impact your bone health? Is that something you need to be thinking about? So unfortunately, we don't have really good medications for osteoarthritis. I think any of the individuals listening to this will recognize that it is a bit of a limitation right now. And most of what we're using currently would be looking at pain-related medications. And so Tylenol or acetaminophen is the most commonly used medication. It works really well in some people. And others will come back and say it really isn't very helpful at all. And obviously, if it's not helpful, there's no point in taking it. But acetaminophen is fairly safe. People can take it in their older years. They can take it with you know, other health issues, heart issues or high blood pressure, maybe a little bit of change in kidney function. There are limits. So following the packet insert remains really important. But when it works, it can be really helpful. A smaller group of people will use anti-inflammatory medications. So the common ones being ibuprofen, which could be Advil. They can use naproxen, which is also available over the counter. The challenge with the anti-inflammatories is there are a lot more reasons why you should not take those. And so in our older population, we worry about stomach bleeding. We worry about it aggravating blood pressure, particularly in people with high blood pressure. If you've got heart conditions, you can't take it or if you've got kidney issues. So there's a lot more. So that one, I really encourage people to have a really good discussion with your healthcare provider to see whether or not it's safe or not safe. You know, great medications for some people, but can cause real problems. And then we're looking at some things that, you know, patients are experimenting on their own. And so there's, you know, lots of interest in some of the natural things. I'm not an expert in that, but there's certainly some interesting developments in terms of turmeric, in terms of pain control. There's a lot of interest in looking at, you know, CBD preparations, whether they use them topically. So over top of the joint or they're taking them. I don't think there's great data there, but I think it's an emerging area and something that's captured people's interest. And there's a lot of work being done to see whether or not there's any benefit. Again, I think for some of these other areas, I really suggest to people have a really good one-on-one conversation with people who you trust and are knowledgeable healthcare providers, and they can help you steer through that in a way that's comfortable. The challenge is we don't have any drugs that modify the process. And I think that's what researchers are working at. Is there something that will change the scope? And just as we're looking in our osteoporosis medications, we do know there are things that decrease fracture risk over time. We're looking in the osteoarthritis realm. Is there something that we can find that patients can take that will do that? But we're not there yet. Yeah, this is all really interesting because I know one of the things that healthcare providers have said to me before in terms of things like CBD and different natural remedies is that oftentimes their patients don't tell them they're doing it, but it's a really good idea to let your healthcare professional know in case there are things that you do need to know about that. And so you can explain the limitations or any particular problems that might happen. I think that's really true. And, you know, for my patients, I try to have a really open door policy so that I understand that. But I do caution them because just because something's natural doesn't mean to say it's 100% safe. 
And maybe it's a bit cheeky, but I'll often you know, say to them, lead, mercury, arsenic are all natural substances, but they're not safe by definition. And so it's really important just to make sure that people are aware. So if there are potential interactions that we need to think about or cautions, we can talk about that. And you know, I look at that with my patients who are using the cannabis-related products, that if it's got THC in it, I kind of say, you know, just to be aware that there may be some issues around your driving with that. So be careful. Whereas if they're looking at the cannabinoids that don't have THC, they're mostly CBD preparations. Those seem to be a little bit safer. So there's just some little guidance pieces that I think can be important for patients to think about just to make sure they're their best advocate for themselves in healthcare. Absolutely. And to change the topic just slightly, I would love to ask you a little bit about balance and osteoarthritis, because I know with osteoporosis, it comes up a lot. Is there anything people with osteoarthritis or who are dealing with both osteoarthritis and osteoporosis might want to be thinking about with balance in terms of exercise or medications or anything that they might want to think about? Okay. So, you know, intrinsically balance shouldn't be affected by osteoarthritis unless you've got a joint which is really problematic. And so if we pick on, let's say, a knee joint, because knees are a common target for osteoarthritis, if the knee is really sore, then just by pain alone, people are going to change their gait, and that may affect their balance. Or there's some people with osteoarthritis in the knee where they may have some damage to some of the inner structures of the knee. The most common would be a meniscus. And that can cause the knee to sometimes give way, which again has a big impact in terms of balance and fall risk. So there are a few things that are important. One is keeping the quadricep muscles strong, so those big thigh muscles. The second would be using a walking aid if you need to use one. And many individuals, and I totally understand this, don't like the thought of having to use a cane. It makes people feel old or older than their years. But from a safety perspective, if you've got what I will affectionately call a wonky knee or a wonky hip, it is really important to make sure that you're using some kind of a walking device that helps you maintain your balance. And that's particularly true if you have both osteoarthritis and osteoporosis. So there are a few things. One is if you need a cane, use it. Use it for necessary activities. But I've also found, and there's no evidence to support this, but I've talked to some of my physiotherapy colleagues and they agree. The new walking poles that people are using for exercise just seem to be a bit more socially acceptable. And so using those so you're getting some upper body activity and yet you're still using something that can potentially help you with balance might be a better alternative for those people who feel a little bit shy about using a cane. And then obviously for more significant issues, there are all sorts of walkers that can be used that can be helpful. And then I guess the last piece, and there's divided sort of evidence about this, but for particularly our thin patients who have both osteoarthritis and osteoporosis, there's some discussion about using hip protectors. And you know, people who are a little bit more weighty probably have a natural hip protector because most of us have a little bit of extra weight in the thigh area. And if you fall, that helps absorb some of the shock. But for some of our very petite patients who don't have a lot of adipose there or fatty tissue there, there is some suggestion that wearing a little hip protector when you're out and about, if you do have a misadventure, it may help displace some of the impact and that may help minimize the risk of fracture. So lots of different things that kind of cross the two spheres. Does that answer your question? 
Yeah, absolutely. And it's really interesting that you mentioned the Nordic walking poles because I see them all the time now. And I always think that the people using them look so fit and so happy. So I think there's definitely a perspective thing there that can make you feel a little bit better. So that was great advice. And so my last question, because we're almost out of time, is about osteoarthritis and nutrition. So calcium, vitamin D, protein, these are all things that we hear about with osteoporosis. Do we need the same things with osteoarthritis? Are there different things that people should be thinking about either, you know, that might prevent it or that might help make it better in terms of nutrition? The short answer is no. The longer answer is because people who are susceptible to osteoporosis and osteoarthritis because of age are often dealing with both. I think it is really important for people to have a really good balanced diet following the Health Canada nutrition guidelines, I think are really important so that you are getting protein every day, you're getting your fruits and vegetables every day, which really important for general health, but also probably for bone health in general. Um, calcium, the current recommendations are about a thousand milligrams per day. There's nothing to show that that helps osteoarthritis. But if it helps the osteoporosis and prevents fractures, then I think that that is a, an important issue. And vitamin D right now is actually a little bit controversial. So the current Canadian guidelines, which I must admit are a little bit older for osteoporosis, I think the new ones will likely be published this year, but they recommend between 800 and 2000 units of vitamin D per day. Some of the newer evidence, including a really important paper that was published this past summer, are suggesting that maybe we don't need quite as much vitamin D. So I encourage people to take some, but not to overdo it. Having said that, there's nothing in terms of osteoarthritis that we know. And one of the sidebars to this big study that was presented this summer really showed that knee pain wasn't influenced by the amount of vitamin D that people were taking. And I think we extrapolate from that that maybe it doesn't influence osteoarthritis. I guess where it gets more complicated is there are pieces of data emerging about anti-inflammatory diets, the Mediterranean diet probably being the one that's most known to people. And because we do know that osteoarthritis, even though it's not as inflammatory as something like rheumatoid arthritis, there probably is some subtle inflammation at the bone level. There's some interesting discussion that maybe these Mediterranean diets that are really high in olive oil, again, fruits and vegetables, um, some of the non-beef proteins perhaps may have an impact, but we actually don't have good data yet. So I think the bottom line that, you know, the take-home message is a really good, healthy diet following the Health Canada guidelines is probably our best bet for osteoarthritis and osteoporosis and trying to keep your weight in a reasonable range, not too high, not too low. That is fascinating because I think that those are really great health suggestions for everyone, whether or not that they have osteoporosis or at risk for osteoarthritis or osteoporosis. So excellent advice. And I want to thank you so much for joining us on the show today. This has been really fascinating and I've really enjoyed talking to you about this. Well, thank you so much. I hope that um, you know, we covered two fairly large topics in a fairly quick time, but hopefully people got some information that's useful and practical and maybe will have some new questions to take back to their own healthcare providers or to their colleagues and, and trusted ones. So thanks very much for the invitation. Wonderful. Thank you so much. I'm Crystal Lamb, and you've been listening to Unbreakable, the OC podcast from Osteoporosis Canada. Today, I've been speaking with Dr. Heather McDonald-Bloomer about the difference between osteoporosis and osteoarthritis. 
If you'd like more information on osteoporosis, visit our website at osteoporosis.ca. If you have questions or comments about this topic or about our podcast, reach out to us on our website or via social media. You can follow us on Instagram and Facebook. Enjoying the show? Hit subscribe in the podcast provider of your choice. Thanks for listening.